Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone. And I am just curious, what did medium Espaya Palladino manage to do at a seance in 1903. Hmm. These are your multiple choice answers. Stop and restart a volunteer's heart. A previous volunteer went into a coma. Levitate three people at once. Make six forms appear, then disappear. Six human forms. So what is your answer to that, Mr. Parsons? Uh, C. Make six human forms appear and disappear. And once again, the gold standard in gold hunting is correct. Great job, Mr. Parsons. You have won a free trip to watch the fairies depart. Cool. Yeah, welcome to um, where I am, which is the... <coughs> You've got to get your maps out now, because normally I'm in West Wales, and you're all familiar with me in West Wales. Well, tonight I am on the most northerly part of Wales, uh, on the island of Holy Island, which is part of the island of Anglesey at the ferry terminal connecting Ireland. Um, so another ferry terminal, just watching a giant ferry departing for Dublin, which is 35 miles away across the Irish Sea. Really? So, but, so we are, we're up here uh, for a week's holiday uh, on what is one of the most ancient um, and historically interesting parts of uh, Wales, possibly Great Britain. Um, and a place I know well, it's a place I've been visiting since childhood. It's a place of mystery, of druids, of ancient burials, of burial chambers and stone circles. And Wait a I thought you were Scouser. That's, a, that's the other side of the country. No, no, no. Uh, Liverpool is about two hours away, about 90 miles away. So it was, uh, it was uh, quite a place that we would visit as youngsters. I, I, oh, okay. I pretty much grew up um, holidays and high days on, on Anglesey and in and around North Wales. I only moved to West Wales uh, 10 years ago. But, I mean, it's been great. Re- I mean, I do come more uh, fairly regularly to the island, but I'm up here with the boys. And we've been exploring not so much the paranormal um, because it's nice to have a holiday from the paranormal, but only like a busman's holiday because... Ireland is absolutely, sorry, the island of Anglesey is steeped in history, ancient mysteries um, of burial chambers and stonehenges and uh, druids. I mean, this is, Anglesey is um, literally the place of the druids. This is where the druids held their court. This is where they held their... Uh, ceremonies and their rituals in oak groves, many of which survive to this day on the island. Um, Naked, I assume, right? Pardon? Naked, I assume. Um, maybe. Um, I mean, Anglesey, Anglesey, because it was disconnected from the mainland and only really joined up during the Industrial Revolution in the Victorian era, um, 
was was somewhat separated from the rest of Great Britain by the Menai Straits, which is only about a mile wide and was perfectly easy to cross. However, it did protect the archaeology and the history of the island. And there are, you know, there are distinct differences between Anglesey and the rest of Wales and indeed you know, the rest of Great Britain. But one of the um, most fascinating aspects of the island is the fact that it is because it was disconnected from the mainland for so for so many centuries. A lot of the archaeology and a lot of the history were preserved. They weren't industrialized. It wasn't plowed over and built upon. And uh, and it is perfectly possible to walk into almost any field or enclosure on the island and you will find yourself standing atop a Bronze Age 4,000-year-old burial mound, a burial chamber, um, or a henge monument, still surviving to this day. And many, many hundreds, dozens have never been excavated. Uh, They lie there still unexcavated with the uh, secrets intact within them. Right. I understand that you visited a couple of sites. You had some exciting experiences. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the one of the most fascinating places on Anglesey um, is a, a, a village, a, uh, a village that dates back 2000 years. And a little bit like Vesuvius and uh, Pompeii, this village was buried by uh, the soil and by the and that was re-excavated and is in incredibly good condition. The village is called Din Ligui. Uh, I'll put a link on eventually onto the page, but it's on the northwest coast of Anglesey. Um, and we, I visited it many times, and we were going to take the boys there yesterday, uh, yesterday evening. And when we arrived, uh, we were met with a herd of Determined, they, they sort of you ganged up, up on us. And they would. Oh, um, can you hear me now? Yeah. It was about they, 50, you were met with a herd of, and then it went blank. There was a herd of 50 young bullocks between about six and 12 months old, all getting ready for their time at McDonald's. Uh-oh. And they, they were determined that we weren't going to get into the field. And if you have a look on the Ghost Chronicles page, you can see <clears throat> what we were having to deal with. And so we, we, after an hour of trying to get the bulls to move so that we could gain access to the field where the mong- where the village is, um, we gave up. And then we spoke to the farmer, but unfortunately they're there for the summer. So ah. I'm, afraid, I'm afraid that one's out of bounds for us. What we did do yesterday is we went to... Um, a the jail. Uh, well, I'll get to that. What we did do yesterday, which was uh, utterly fantastic, uh, is we went to visit the uh, mountain called Paris Mountain, P-A-R-Y-S, which has been, which was the, the largest copper mine in the world during the 18th and early 19th century. Any Br- uh, British copper coinage uh, that people may have in collections from the 1700s and the early 1800s, all came from this vast copper mine uh, called Paris Mountain. And it's still, much as they left it today, uh, oh, missing and a great big again. hole through the middle of it. It dropped off well, again. Paris Mountain, one, two, three, four, Paris Mountain. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yep, Paris Mountain uh, started off as a very tall 
uh, mountain, but they discovered it was uh, chock full of copper and zinc and iron and sulfur and other important minerals way, way back 4,000 years ago. Uh, they, they were excavating uh, with pick, with deer pick and uh, stone, stone hammers. Uh, but by the time the, we got to the 18th century, it became the largest copper mine in the world and was partly responsible for the great success of the British Royal Navy. Uh, during the battles with the French and... The French and who? In the, city, the, the, Span- and who? The, the wooden ships. The, sh- okay. the ships of the line were affected with uh, wood-boring beetles, uh, wood-boring worms that would eat their way into the wooden hulls of the ships, weakening the ships. And the British discovered that if you clad, copper-clad the bottom of the ships, the ships of the line, the warships, it would stop these marine beetles eating into the hulls. And so the British copper-clad all of the ships using the copper from Paris Mountain. Hmm, that's and pretty interesting. When that's, you when you when that's you like visit the first ironclads, kind of. Yeah, well, these were copper, copper clads, clads. And, and it gives rise to this copper. This there's a there's a saying, isn't there? Right? It's a copper bottomed um, guarantee, which meant that it was safe from these beetle, these worms that would that would weaken the the hull of the ships. And of course, it gave us a great, particularly in the in the Caribbean, it gave us a great advantage over the Spanish and the French ships because their their hulls were much weaker. And they had to deal with these uh, marine uh, wood-boring worms. Uh, the other thing about Paris Mountain is because it's pretty much as they left it, um, the, it is so uh, rich in minerals that it is every conceivable colour of rock um, lying around. In, in You've got purples and yellows and greens, golds, all hues of rock. It's the most spectacular lunar landscape that you could imagine. And it's fully accessible now. They've, they've leveled parts of uh, the trail around the mountain. Um, but you, you still have to be extremely careful. There's a lot of toxic um, sort of materials up there. I mean, toxic if you eat them, not walk on them. But there is this, you know, uh, vast open cast hole in the middle of Paris Mountain. Um, which is it's like a crater on a volcano. Oh, wow. So that, that was fascinating. And, and what they found up there is uh, ex, uh, tools, uh, deer, deer antler tools and stone hammers that were used 4,000 years ago by Stone Age man and the Bronze Age culture to chip away at the, copper, the veins of copper and other minerals within Paris Mountain. What's also cool, yesterday morning... Uh, we, on this theme of uh, ancient sort of uh, industry, we went to a place uh, that's, uh, it's, there's a monastery nearby. It's near the town of Beaumaris, where, which is more famous for its castle. But there's a beach uh, quite near, near there where there's a, the archaeologists discovered um, the, uh, the workings where these stone hammers and stone axes were made. Oh, wow. And, it was such a rich industry for 4,000 to 10,000 years ago that you can, and we did, you can literally walk on the beach and pick up one of these 4,000 to 10,000 year old stone hammers that we used uh, to uh, make the flint tools 
and to shape the tools that they used and traded all over Europe. Ertzi, uh, if any of you remember, Ertzi, the, the Iceman, the mummified corpse that was found in the glaciers of uh, northern Italy. Yes. Well, he was found with a stone tool that was from uh, North Wales, from Llanverveken Mountain, which is really? very close to Anglesey. And they traded all across Europe. I mean, they found uh, beads and uh, tools from um, the French, uh, the French Dordogne, and the, the area around Toulouse, in this part of uh, the UK, in, in and around Wales. And they found these Welsh-made uh, hammers, stone hammers, and stone axes, all over Europe, through Switzerland into Hungary, across the UK. And you can still find them today. We we walked onto the um, the beach, um, and we managed to find two while we were here yesterday. Really? Uh, they they the archaeologists, you know, that they are very very common. This was a huge industry. This is like walking into, if you can imagine, uh, you walk into a large a derelict factory today. You would find remnants of the the, the industrial workings. Well, what you're dealing with is a thousand-year you know, factory that existed for a thousand years that made stone axes and stone hammers. And, of course, an awful lot got left behind. And, of course, archaeologists have got the very best bits, but there are, you know, there are, there are literally thousands and thousands of remains and remnants and fragments of this uh, Stone Age and early Bronze Age industry. Uh, in this part of the world so it's a fantastic place to uh, be in touch with the ancestors and, and to learn about the past um, and to to visit the not just where they worked but where they lived in the form of the village that we didn't quite get to yesterday but we're going to try to a different one tomorrow and of course where they where they were buried uh, these burial chambers these burial mounds we obviously don't know anything about the religion um, there are henge monuments, like sort of miniature Stonehenge, uh, if you will. Uh, but these burial mounds, which, in fact, they are so common. Uh, I'm at the port of Holyhead, and there's a. I'm on the main promenade, which is a busy dual carriageway. There's a busy seaport, um, and a haunted maritime museum just beneath me on the harbour front. Uh, a modern harbour full of yachts and. Uh, you know, the ferry ferries to Ireland, and yet behind me, there's a grassy knoll, and on the grass, uh, halfway up the grassy knoll is a rocky outcrop, and on that is a burial chamber that was really? put there, that was put there by the in the Bronze Age. Um, it was long excavated. It was excavated in the Victorian period, and they found some inhumations, cremations, that were put into uh, pottery, earthenware beakers or, or uh, vases and it actually gave rise to the to the people uh they well it dropped off steve they, they may be steve um, hello they believe one two three four they believe they may be of spanish or um mediterranean origin but they're called the beaker people because all of their um cremations were placed into these beaker shaped earthenware vessels with quite a distinctive patterning on them so uh, 4,000 
Yeah, 4,000 years ago, um, on this spot, there were people burying their dead. And today, it's a thriving, busy seaport that connects the UK with Ireland. It's one of the busiest. And down in Pembrokeshire is, is the other one that you know, these two link uh, the UK and um, our neighbours across the Irish Sea, 35 miles away. Hmm. You know, what's interesting is a, uh, a terminal, a ferry terminal, I believe it's in New Jersey, uh, that there are hundreds of people buried underneath the parking lot because it was an ancient site. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to... Um, Much like your king was. <laughs> put under a car park. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, we were talking about... Um, the subject of you know um, continued use of land and continued occupation yesterday uh, as we travelled around uh, and uh, what was good land then was good land now the Irish Sea um, Great Britain was not it was not a safe place to 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 cross by you know by land um, it probably still isn't but it was much it was covered in dense forests and of course there was a, a wild population of animals that would would do you no good at all mm-hmm. and the Irish the Irish Sea um, and the rivers were the primary interstates and motorways of of that era and the Irish Sea uh, you know that ran along the west side of the of, of Great Britain between us and, and Ireland as well uh, there are that was the, the major major trading route through until the industrial era uh, until you know the the 18th 18th century um when we opened up roads and railways and the canal networks prior to that all all goods people uh, trade was conducted by sea and it it's not really a surprise that like in america like here um where people gathered at the shortest points or the safest points to cross rivers to cross seas to cross estuaries and uh, then that's where they would congregate and that's where they would, you know, they would develop their industries, they would develop their lives and they would, they would live out their lives and they would ultimately be buried. Um, on the, there's a museum just below me. I, I took a picture of it. It's, it's, it's already been posted in the comments earlier. Uh, it's called the Hollyhead uh, Maritime Museum. Uh, it's a little, it's a former lifeboat house that's now been, um, it was built in the Victorian period. It's now been converted to a museum. And it's got, you know, there are some uh, relics from shipwrecks. There are some cannons and sea mines from World War Two, And there's uh, some diving bells and projector mortars and all sorts of other interesting things. But in keeping with the flavor of the show, of course, it has a ghost. A ghost really? of a, a ghost of a, a, a man who's believed to be uh, either a mariner or one of the lifeboat crew. Uh, nobody's quite sure. Um, they, he's got various names as well. Different members of staff gave us different names. But he's he's supposed to be seen in the, uh, the boat area, the area of uh, where the lifeboat was, was stored, uh, so the boat shed part of it. Uh, and he's been sort of... Uh, he doesn't do anything. He there's no real uh, link with the building. Nobody died there that they're that they're aware of. Um, but I think a lot, so many buildings in, that are, you know, have a history, 
I think, yeah, I think they, I don't know whether, it might be a bit like the Philip experiment. Maybe the building develops its own ghost because it needs to have a ghost. Huh. Almost, you know, almost, uh, it, the building wouldn't be complete without a ghost. And if, you know, as you, as you, as we've been wandering around um, since we got here at the weekend, um, some old buildings. I mean, <laughs> there are Victorian, there are Tudor, there are many, many medieval buildings on Anglesey, um, and some of them just look like they ought to have a ghost, irrespective of whether they're haunted. And I don't mean just because they look spooky or they're damp or nasty or dark. I just think some old buildings they deserve to. Um, I think they just deserve to have a ghost. They deserve to have some contact with the past, some continuity with the original. It's more of a romantic notion than a, than any form of real theory or idea. And I certainly wouldn't go, you know, I certainly wouldn't say it publicly on a radio show, for example. But there is a, <laughs> there is a romantic, you know, where you let your imagination run wild a little bit and imagine that the. And I think with the with the boathouse talking to the staff, they were quite vague. Um, they they called he was called Neville or David. Uh, I think different members of staff had given him different names, and the rumours and stories had grown up uh, between the staff. And I got very much the impression that uh, I think they had grown quite fond of having a ghost and telling the, the stories of having a ghost rather than, you know, uh, anything substantial. But that's, that's true of many, many of the places that we visit on Anglesey. Um, some of the buildings we've been to, um, they, they have ghosts or ghostly stories attached to them. But when you scratch the surface, uh, there isn't very much substance. That's, that's not the case with some. And we, we spoke earlier about Beaumaris Jail very, very briefly. Um, almost diagonally opposite about on the opposite side of Anglesey, the side nearest the mainland, nearest the mainland of Wales. So uh, and about 20 miles, five miles from here as the crow flies is the town of Beaumaris. Beaumaris was one of the primary um, connection, connect, towns that connected Anglesey to the mainland. Um, and is separated from the mainland by a very wide stretch of uh, the Menai Strait, but which at low tide becomes uh, an exposed series of sandbanks sand and sandbars that are quite accessible and quite crossable. And so, up until the uh, medieval, uh, the, sorry, the industrial era, when they built the bridges across the Menai Straits, the primary access into Anglesey was literally by horse-drawn. Um, you know, on horseback or by horse-drawn cart across the, the, the low-tide sand flats or by boat when the tide um, was, was higher. And that would be into the town of Beaumaris. And Beaumaris has a castle that was built um, in the 12th century, sorry, 13th century by King Edward I when he was subjugating the Welsh. Yeah. But the castle has a couple of ghost stories attached to it and people can view them and look them up online. And, and of course, if you visit, um, the have you visited that castle? Uh, we did visit the castle. Um, we, we, we visited yesterday. Um, it's, we're a bit spoiled for castles, uh, as you know, because you know, in Wales, we're, we're not exactly short of them. So 
No. Castles haven't featured very highly on our itinerary because, well, we've got enough castles in West Wales. We don't need to see any more in North Wales. Uh, but directly opposite the castle is the courthouse, which dates from the 17th century, very close, actually, to the time of the Salem witch trials and is associated with Judge Jeffreys, who was uh, a notorious judge uh, who, who tried the rebels after the uh, one of the uprisings against the king and was called the hanging judge uh, because he, he didn't show them very much mercy. So drawing and quartering? Uh, no, they didn't do drawing and quartering, but there was plenty of a hanging going on. Um, now, our, our host, our, our teller of Curious Tales, Dylan, has his own Great British Ghost Tour website, uh, which has been which we can put a link onto, and contains a, a sort of detailed account of the hauntings of Beaumaris Jail, which is G A O L, the good old fashioned way of spelling it. And uh, cool. people can people can read the the ghost stories there because I'm aware we've got an ad break coming up. They don't really trade on the ghost. Um, the ghosts of Beaumaris Jail very much. Unlike and Derby Jail, huh? Unlike Derby Jail or the courthouse ghosts, they are mentioned. You can tour around the haunted uh, cell, um, but they're not sort of prominently featured uh, in the uh, the visitor experience. But they are worth seeing. You know, it's a... It's a but the ghost is, is only part of the, of the attractions of, um, of Beaumaris. Uh, the history of Beaumaris, it was an operating seaplane base in World War II. And it is, I, as I was saying before, the place where one of the beaches you can walk out to uh, about half a mile outside of the town and pick up a 4,000-year-old stone hammer. I apologise for the lorry that's going past behind me. Uh, mm. I'm, say I'm aware of an ad break coming up. Just as the Stena Line, uh, the giant ferry, evening, uh, well, late, late evening ferry is about to depart for Dublin. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's all intriguing. I would love to visit those places. I mean, it's just, you guys are, like, spoiled because they're right there for you. But, uh, you know, it's such an intriguing thing to to see, and there's so many stories. Uh, We do have about one minute uh, to the break time. And uh, so so far, your trip, uh, you've enjoyed it. Yeah, we've had, we've been we've been absolutely blessed with the weather. Uh, temperatures into the oh god, I'm going to do the conversion. It's been touching 30 degrees Celsius here today, so in the high mid 80s uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, Very good. Um, and yeah, it's gonna we we do some thunderstorms overnight tonight and tomorrow. Tomorrow's a day of indoor attractions, and we're going to a place full of dinosaur bones, real dinosaur bones and fossils. One of my other uh, favorites. Run by a friend of mine. If any people want to Google it, it's called Stone Science on Anglesey, and it is it is an absolute treasure trove. It's a privately run museum. Um, Unfortunately, by- the tunes are here, so we have to leave. But uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about your uh, trip to West <laughs> Wales, and perhaps we'll have a, a teller of curious tales. You cool. listen to Ghost Chronicles uh, right here on Pararex, and of course, Tojinetto. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. It's another live outside broadcast, this time from North Wales, from the island of Anglesey. Well, specifically, Holy Island, which lies off the island of Anglesey and is one of the most northerly parts of the, the country I now live in, of Wales. And normally I'm in West Wales. But you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International, hopefully, or the podcast. Of course you are. Uh, live, live on Togginet, Para X, the Ghost, something or other, and whatever else you're listening to is on. Um, so yeah, welcome to uh, a sunny evening in West Wales, in Northwest Wales, um, at the port town of Hollyhead, uh, as the giant Stena Line ferry is about to leave for Dublin, which mm-hmm. is thirty-five miles across the Irish Sea. Okay, so have you visited anything else since uh, you've been there, or is that pretty much? Well, uh, well, we only arrived Saturday afternoon, um, so. We're still early on in the week. Uh, we the plans for the rest of the week inc- include obviously. Well, tomorrow we, we know we've got a uh, we've got a stormy day with with rain, so we're going to go for the indoor attractions. I was talking about earlier um, Stone Science. People want to Google Stone Science. It's a privately run uh, geology and uh, I don't know what the word for dinosaurs is paleontology. Paleontology. Um, it's run by a friend of mine called Dave, who was uh, a geologist, an industrial geologist, who took retirement and set up um, a museum of his passion. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. And he, he took, uh, it's an old rectory building originally that he's now developed uh, into this. In, in the finest tradition of the antiquarian collector, uh, this is um, a rambling, jumbling collection of 
ephemera. It is a giant cabinet of curiosities with everything from Tyrannosaurus Rex to you can buy a meteorite, um, mm-hmm. rocks, crystals, gemstones. We're not talking about this new age fluffy stuff. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about in the raw. You can buy a geology hammer. You can buy. Um, uh, you know, he has an old collect. You know, there's a, there's a several shelves of of antiquarian books from the antiquarian society that date back to the you know the early 19th century mm-hmm. um, that you can purchase. Uh, you can, as I said, you can buy meteorites. You can buy um, you know fossils and minerals from from all over the world. Dave during the winter months uh, travels around the world and buys things for the for the shop or for the museum for his collection mm-hmm. um he has a small education center um and he's absolutely passionate he is your archetypal i'm sure you imagine he's a white-haired rambling genius when it comes to geology paleontology mineralogy um and he runs several archaeology societies and groups on the island and he has since he's lived here for the past, I and mean, he's Anglesey born and bred, but since he moved back here, he's been uh, a leading light in the archaeology movement. Interestingly, uh, Stone Science, which is in the village of Pentrith, um, is built on one of the main Roman routes into Anglesey and has a road, that ru- an ancient lane that runs up from uh, the rectory site where Stone Science is to the top of a hill where a Roman battlefield, where the Romans fought the ancient British and fought the Druids. The road is called Flon i Bubach, which means the road of the ghost, or the road of the ghosts. Really? And it is the only road in Wales that is actually, you know, is named after ghosts. And there is a story that date right the way back to the 17th century of figures being seen walking up this overgrown lane as it rambles, you know, through through woodland. It's a densely overgrown trackway. You, you know, Steve, it's it's interesting because uh, you know most people think about the UK and 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 they they very forget the the Roman connection here. And and there was a huge Roman influence in the UK for many 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 years. And uh, there are a, a lot of hauntings from. Uh, uh, well, not a lot, a lot, but there are hauntings of uh, Romans in, in the UK. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, the, the main roads, a lot of our major roads to this day are built exactly overlying. If you dig down through the modern tarmac and concrete, you will find the Roman foundations of that road. Anglesey is reached from the mainland, um, from London. You would travel up the A5, and the A5, which runs from London to the port where I am now in Holyhead, 190 miles to the northwest, is a Roman route. Mm-hmm. Um, the Romans put that route in there, bringing themselves up from Londinium and the uh, capital of Colchester right up to um, Anglesey because they were after the minerals. And importantly, uh, the Romans attacked Anglesey. Anglesey was the holy island of the druids the druids were if you've ever watched asterisk asterix the gaul 
Uh, the Druids were a thorn in the side to the Romans, constantly challenging the Romans and inciting the British, the native British population to riot and, and um, overthrow the Roman invaders and oppressors. And Anglesey was considered to be the most holy place. And uh, after the invasion in 79 AD, I think, if my memory serves me correct, Roman general Suetonius Paulinus brought the Roman legions up from uh, Londinium and Colchester in Chester, uh, up the A5. Sorry, there's a fairground uh, ride about to go past, so setting up for the annual summer fair. So there's a mm-hmm. giant funhouse fairground uh, roller coaster. Oh, that's so cool. I thought um, it was the Romans. <laughs> it's not the Romans, but that, that, that will have traveled up the Roman road. Mm-hmm. So the Romans, they actually uh, swam across in full armor at low tide. They, they waded across the uh, straits at low tide with their armor, with the, you know, with the uh, horses and chariots to confront the British, the Britons mm-hmm. uh, and the Druids who were lined up against them, painted blue, as Tacitus recorded. Uh, these fearsome blue-painted warriors, and there were, you know, they the Romans were successful and defeated the Druids, and uh, the ancient uh, British Celto- Celtic warriors, and there are places like uh, at the town of Ifali or Valley, where uh, in order to um, appease the the ancient gods, the Celtic Britons the forerunners of the Welsh and the English and the Irish, uh, they made sacrifice of the bronze weapons and iron swords and threw uh, huge quantities of them into the the marshes and the lakes to make offering to their water gods, their water deities, mm-hmm. to protect them from the, the invading Romans. And when they built the RAF base at uh, the American uh, Air Force Base at Valley in 1943, because of Anglesey's position, uh, very, very close, you know, one of the closest points to America. Um, it was one of the places where flights of B-17s and B-24s uh, were, were uh, aimed for. This was their main first arrival point in the UK once they were flying over to join the fight against uh, the Germans in World War II. And that, the RAF Valley was built for that reason. And while they were building the RAF base, they they came across this huge quantity of ancient swords and armour and artefacts that had been cast in as offerings to the uh, Druid gods. Wow. Uh, And of course, the Romans built Adrian's Wall there, which was... uh, That's that's a long way north of us. (laughs) I know, it's a long way north, but you know, they just, I'm just trying to you know the the influence and in, of the Romans in in, in England and and the UK is is you know pretty yeah, substantial. I mean they built they built towns along the wall where the, they would garrison their troops and also work with the local militia as well. And uh, oh, oh, absolutely. I mean most of our major road network, um, except for the very modern, most recent roads, uh, most of our major. Um, road network is built on an original sort of Roman um, system. And if you dig down underneath the A5, if you dig down under a lot of our uh, main roads, you will find the Roman foundations. A lot of our major bridges, you will still find Roman, the Roman footings 
either close by or even underlying the existing 21st century bridge. Um, and, of course, metal detecting is, is a popular pastime in the UK. And lots in, you would be very unlucky indeed, particularly on Anglesey and, others, uh, and um, you know, close to Roman towns like Chester, for example, if you didn't, with your metal detector, find a Roman coin. Uh, they, they're so common, you can, you can buy them in you know, uh, tourist shops, uh, genuine Roman coins for one or two pounds. Um, oh, wow. They, they, they are literally that common that, you know, obviously the very best ones have gone to museums. Why in addition to the cabinet of curiosities? I'll, I'll bring you a Roman coin. I, I know Dave has several uh, that are available, so I'll pick one up when I visit tomorrow <laughs> uh, for the cabinet of curiosities. It won't be much. Well, speaking, you know, of, speaking of curiosities, I do believe yeah. we have a, tele, a, a tale of curiosities. Then I can, have a, I can give my voice a rest and have a Yeah, so I was just going to say, I mean, you've been, you've been carrying on like a trooper. Uh, but, uh, I think if, uh, you know, we could, we'd like to play the latest episode of the Teller of Curious Tales. I, can we play that please? Uh, maybe not. I kind of. Hew up, doesn't it? Tonight, I, the Teller of Curious Tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories, true stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the Teller of Curious Tales. On a bright October day in 1899, an Egyptian farmer was working in his fields. Suddenly, the ground gave way from under him, and a part of the field which he and his ancestors had been working for centuries sank into the earth and carried this bewildered farmer with it. When the hubbub had subsided, and his mind was cleared of its bewilderment and confusion, he looked around. He found himself in an enormous subterranean room a room connected with countless similar rooms, all bare of furniture, all deathly silent, but every one lined from ceiling to floor with shelves, shelves loaded with small, nondescript bundles. Had he stumbled into a treasure trove? Had he found new tombs which ancient Egyptians were so clever at concealing? He snatched one of the bundles and found it wrapped round with cloth like a mummy. He began removing the wrappings and after working feverishly for some minutes, he held the unwrapped object in his hand. It was an embalmed cat. This subterranean labyrinth was a cat cemetery and literally millions were stacked away on these shelves. Cats were sacred to the ancient Egyptians and were embalmed and mummified like their masters so that they too could arise on the Egyptian judgment day. He clambered out of the cat mine and walked to Alexandria and went to a speculator in antiquities telling him of his find. The speculator, being a shrewd businessman, 
shipped a boatload of these 3,000-year-old mummified cats to Liverpool, England, where 180,000 of them were offered for sale at public auction to be used for fertiliser. The auctioneer, using a dead cat for a hammer, sold them in ton lots to the assembled English farmers. They bought approximately $18.50 a ton, about a fifth of a cent for each cat. And now, on the day of the resurrection, millions of Egyptians will wait in vain for their beloved cats to arise from the dead. Damn. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of curious tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs> And now you know why, when I used to live in Liverpool, we were inundated with ghost cats in every field that we went into. Absolute nightmare. These dead, ghostly cats appeared everywhere. Pain in the ass, aren't they? Uh, Oddly enough, last time you were yeah, over here, yeah. uh, we went to uh, uh, Hammond Castle, who uh, Hammond actually would have funeral possessions for his cats and and entombed him himself and then he eventually ended up being buried with his cats so missed there opportunity go. there to fertilize the fields yeah i know it i know it well the reason we're up here this week um i failed to mention earlier i mean obviously you know i said it's about a holiday but it's uh, it's that time of year <laughs> when it's birthday week for us um mm-hmm. Starting Saturday just past was Ethan's seventh birthday. Uh, today is my daughter Helen's 21st birthday. Hmm. And uh, this Sunday coming is Oscar, the littlest ghost hunter's um, birthday. He's four. And they're, they're patiently sitting in the car, whinging probably. Say hello, boys. Hello. 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 There we are, and Kat and my, my wife's keeping an eye on them. They're watching, I don't know, what are you watching? They're wa- Funny enough, there you go, there's a, a a weird bit of synchronicity. We're talking about mummified cats, and they're all sitting in the car watching Puss in Boots um, mm. while, while Daddy does the show. Mm. Very amazing. So, yeah, we're so, up here celebrating the birthdays. So, anyway, speaking about that, and, of course, you know, there's a new uh, ghost hunting show point. coming new ghost hunting show coming out here in the U.S., and it is called The Low Files, and it stars Rob Lowe and his two sons. Now, I, I believe that th- it would be a much better show if it was The Parson Files. had <laughs> Ethan and Oscar, and of course, your daughter as well. Well, there's some experience there. Helen... She's 21 today. She's out celebrating with her friends. We went to see her at the weekend on our way up here to North Wales. Uh, but she she started her ghost hunting career at age four. Uh, joining joining me at Gate, and uh, she, she she dropping off on us. Psychology. Can you hear me? Yeah, he's halfway through her cycle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
she's halfway through at the moment a psychology degree on her way to uh, learning to be a parapsychologist. Ah, uh, oh, there you go. You're right, Jeremy. Yeah, so she's uh, she's you know work, working towards that, and the boys have started to. There's some interest, um, particularly particularly from Ethan, who I think he likes the romance. Sorry, we've now got a motorcycle heading past. It's, it's not paranormal. It's uh, well, actually, could, could be a ghost rider. Well, if we had video, uh, you have these guys, these cool guys on Harleys in America. You know, we've seen them driving along the beachfront. Uh, when we've been down at the beach house, but that was a site that just went past. It was a, an aged gentleman on a 1960s Lambretta uh, wearing a pair of cargo shorts and a military-style jacket. There you didn't, go. Didn't, didn't look altogether uh, a good ensemble, I have to admit. Mm, I wouldn't have had anything to do with the Andrew Taylor. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, I don't think, I don't think uh, that's in his dressing-up wardrobe. Well, military uh, jacket, oh. jacket, I'd heard, and you know, I just thought it might. Well, I, I think we can see a resurrection because we've just got a new movie out at the moment called Dunkirk, which yes, is, we do. Yep, uh, which is a sort of re- uh, commemoration of that that great escape. Yep, yep, uh, yep, a celebration of one of Britain's greatest losses. Yep, that's, that's right. only the Brits would celebrate that and turn it into a victory. Of course. Well, as, as Churchill said at the time, there should be there should be no um, this should not be considered to be in any way, shape, or form a victory. Um, it should be considered to be uh, the beginning of our return back to France. So not the end, but the beginning. The end of the beginning. Um, Britain has always, you know, militarily, we've always, uh, we've we've always started off most of our battle, great battles and great victories with a defeat. Yeah, you know, that's because you get too cocky and too comfortable. Well, no, we, 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 we always militarily like to lull the opposition into a false sense of security. Yeah, and you know, you can't make up your mind, so you... you just our, like, football, uh, our football team... You know, yeah, just, just like Montgomery, you know, we really like, oh, God, we'll have to have tea. Maybe we'll attack. Uh, oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, that's might be we might lose. Uh, yeah. and, and of course, this is a tradition that's followed, you know, by our sports teams, you know, our football team, our soccer team, um, you know, our cricket team. You know, we invent these games and then everybody beats us at them. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it's 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 kind of a British thing, a British tradition, um, to be uh, start start as you mean to not go on, and ultimately mm-hmm. get there in the end. The sun's just starting to go down. The sky's now. Uh, speaking about yeah, uh, speaking <laughs> about Montgomery, is he still alive or dead? Oh God, he's no, dead. he's he's dead. Has his gone seen anywhere? Uh, do you know I actually? don't know the answer to that question. I know Churchill, hmm, curious. Churchill of course, curious. famously saw Churchill is reputed to appear on the uh, the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. Oh, really? Uh, in other and in other places, but but Churchill. Churchill, what? We we lost just you. Uh, was it? Uh, I can't remember which ghost he claimed to have seen. Was it Abe in the White House when Churchill was staying in the White House? With, uh, uh, could FDR. very well. The, uh, of course, the, the <coughs> Queen of Denmark saw Abe Lincoln. She, Abe actually went and knocked on her door in the middle of the night, so that was a little disturbing. Ch- Churchill had a, a, a passing interest in the subject. One of, the most, uh, one of our iconic war leaders, the, uh, 
um, Marshal of the Royal Air Force who led fighter command during the Battle of Britain, uh, Sir Arthur, uh, Sir, sorry, Sir Hugh Dowding, was a leading spiritualist um, and wrote extensively on the subject of spiritualism. And really? was a great believer. His wife was a psychic, was a medium, a psychic medium. And you would think that this guy who was renowned for not only being head of the, the fighter command during the Battle of Britain, and whose technical skills ensured that we won the Battle of Britain, but was a, uh, um, a genius when it came to understanding technology and was, a, uh, was in fact responsible for uh, the developments or the use of radar which gave the British fighters in World War uh, during the Battle of Britain huge advantage those, that advantage over, over the Germans mm -hmm. uh, but Dowding himself was a confirmed spiritualist and a great believer in spiritualism and an exponent a great writer on, <coughs> excuse me, on spiritualist matters and his wife Lady Dowding was um was a psychic medium so it's, it's not really a you know it's quite a surprise to understand but there were lots of men of science and learning who were intrigued and interested in the questions posed by spiritualism during the sort of first half of the 19th century and the latter half sorry the first half of the 20th century and the latter half of the 19th century uh, you know, we find many of our British prime ministers, for example, um, were were members of the Society for Psychical Research. What, what about what about your royalty, Steve? Is, is there any any evidence that, that the royalty at all was just in the paranormal? Uh, there is. Uh, there's a book called Paranormal People, or the Prince and the Paranormal, which, uh, which is written about Prince Charles and the modern royal family. And there are certainly suggestions that Queen Victoria indulged in parlor seances mm -hmm. and that John Brown the famous Scottish gilly um, and uh, rumoured lover or, or confidant of Queen Victoria uh, had you know uh, he was he was a Scottish Highlander who were who were famed for their seer, seership their ability to have a sixth sense and Queen Victoria was uh, often said to be interested in uh, holding and partic participating in seance, um, parlor seances. And that extends to the mod some of the modern royals. Uh, Prince Charles is supposed to have, I mean, forget all these connections about them being lizards and members of, you know, secret societies. Yeah. But, but certainly Prince Charles does have, and I've spoken to Prince Charles about the subject, uh, and Prince Charles does have a uh, should we say more than a passing interest in the ghosts of the Royal Palaces, Buckingham Palace, Kensington Palace, and his own home at Highgrove. Uh, but obviously not, you know, his duties forestall any, any um, you know, uh, involved, you know, deep involvement. Right. And of course, he has to be very careful of his public uh, persona. Right. But well, anyways, the doorbell uh, rang, which means pizza from the dead is here. And, yep. uh, of course, I, I, I just this past uh, Friday, I, I uh, was able to take a class by Dr. Jean Yang in uh, Quantum Spoonbit. And, and, and I was going to talk about it a little bit on the show today, but unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I wasn't able to do that. So maybe I will catch up at another time. But uh, intriguing thing, intriguing. Yeah, I, t I tended to hog the airways a bit tonight while we had the signal. 
Oh, that's all right. You were fine. I have no problem. I talked a lot because I didn't know how long you'd managed to hold the signal for. Uh, it was all interesting. It was, it was you know, very intriguing, uh, yeah, especially the different aspects of uh, your country. It's uh, to America. But anyways, it's about a minute left, and uh, soon you'll be, uh, you know, it's not that long away, less than three months, right? July, August, two and a half months. You'll be uh, on the shores of America again if Trump lets you in. Yeah, well, uh, some good news. Even whilst we were on air, um, a text message uh, during the um, during the Teller of Curious Tales revealed that my Esther and pa- new passports have been approved and they're on the way. So, uh, yeah, even whilst we were doing the show live tonight, um, the, the the wheels were still in motion for that trip. So from this side of the, well, the Atlantic Ocean, looking out west, Right. That means you'll be here in, in it's, about it's two and a half quite months. quite high in the sky near you. Mm. So yeah. we're uh, excited. So I'll, uh, I'll be the other side of the setting sun. It'll be kicked off uh, by Spiriquest, of course, Houdini and Doyle. So yeah. that'll be exciting as always. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, so we got to wrap it up. Uh, Steve, right. I want to thank you so much for taking your time out of your vacation and joining us. No, it's been us. a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, say hello to uh, Kat and the kids. Well, I will do. I don't want to interrupt Puss in Boots because they, they wound up the car windows now. They're hiding in the car watching Puss in Boots. I yeah, don't know why still, they, don't, they certainly don't want to listen to you. That's why. No, yeah. it's still, it's still. I mean, although the sun's setting now, it's still in the sort of mid seventies. Cats so, probably get um, the air conditioning on. Probably, it's a really warm evening down here, so and we can, you know, you can see the storm clouds starting to build on the horizon. So. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, tomorrow. It was it was humid today. We we while well, just before the show, the skies opened up and we were deluged, and uh, the clouds are getting dark again. So we may get another passing thunderstorm. Well, That's, there we go. All right. Goodbye. God bless. All right. Good night. God bless. Bye bye from Northwest Wales. long leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.